Okay. <laughs> Lock it too. All of you type A's. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, um, just so everybody knows, this doesn't amplify the room. It just helps record. So even if any, even if you can't hear yourself, um, I'm just told to tell you it's still important to speak into the microphone. All right, welcome to the ABC workshop meeting. My name is Rachel, and I'm a compulsive eater and your moderator for this meeting. Hi, Rachel. Hello, please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Before we get started, we ask that all cell phones or other electronic equipment be turned off. Even if you think it's off, please make sure. This session is being taped. All participants are required to sign the release form. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. Please remember OA members affiliated with related facilities or other 12-step programs are requested to speak on their recovery in the OA program only. An Ask It basket will be circulated for the question and answer portion of this session. And if there are any press in the room, please respect our anonymity by not taking any pictures, using video camera, or using our full names. The format of this session is as follows. The speakers will share for 20 minutes each, followed by question and answers. An Ask It basket will be passed around. Please place your questions in the box for our panelists. Um, if we do 20 minutes each, that does hit the whole hour. So I think uh, 10, 15, 12, and 45. So, oh no, that's perfect. Okay, that does work out. Yesterday we were off 15 minutes, so we cut it down. Um, the topic for this session is ABC, Anorexic Bulimic Compulsive Exerciser, the process of surrender. Our first speaker is Leslie. Um, please welcome Leslie for our share. Hi, I'm Leslie. I'm in recovery for anorexia. Thank you so much for being here, um, and it was a huge honor to be asked to speak um, and this panel in particular. When I came into the rooms um, in August, it'll be eight years ago, I was one of the only people that identified um, as an ABCer, and um, definitely the only person that I knew that identified as um, strictly um anorexic. So we've come a really long way that we have as many people in this room as we do and that there's a topic at the region on this. And so I'm really, really excited um, that, that more people who identify as this part of compulsive eating have continued to seek recovery. Um, it's a horrible, horrible disease. But so much good can come out of it if we, like, if we find the 12 steps. And that's been my experience. Um, so the process of surrender. I'll tell you a little bit about um, what it was like and what happened and what led me into these rooms and ultimately to surrender to um, a power greater than myself and ultimately find recovery. Um, a little bit about me. So I stand here in front of you 20 pounds heavier than I was when I came into these rooms. And um, I, in November, November 16th, of this year, I will celebrate eight years um, in recovery from anorexia and compulsive exercising. And what that recovery looks like, um, and like my food plan, is um, is three meals a day with an optional snack and no compulsive exercising. And the way that I define that is that if I um, 
yoga is my exercise of choice right now, and I am not allowed to go to more yoga classes a week than I go to meetings. So I keep <laughs> that's my balance. <laughs> um, so what it was like and what happened. Um, so I started early as, um, as I've heard in these rooms, a lot of us have, um, my first, um, experience with, um, with my anorexia was that I can remember was when I was four. I, at that point had, um, started studying classical ballet and I studied it for 11 or 12 years, uh, total. And, um, I, um, was four and I was a normal child. I don't have any pictures. It's not, I don't bring pictures as part of my story. Um, I was, I was a very small child. Um, and, but when I was four, I started studying ballet and I was standing at, um, the bar in class. And, um, my teacher said to me, Leslie, suck in your belly. You look like you swallowed a watermelon. And, um, I turned and I looked in the mirrors because I grew up in basically rooms that had floor to ceiling mirrors um, all over. And she was right. I did look like I'd swallowed a watermelon. And, but that was because I was four. <laughs> How do four-year-olds stand? They, like their little bellies are out. Like there's nothing there except just a little posture issue. And um, that's what she was trying to correct. But I took it Oh, so personally. And, um, was mortified. I was embarrassed in front of class. And, um, I was, um, I was so ashamed that I didn't tell anybody. So I didn't give myself the opportunity to be corrected, like to be told that I was perfect and wonderful. And that like, you know, she meant well, but you know, not to pay her any mind. <laughs> um, so I, that started my, um, my body image, um, battle. And so for the years that followed after that, up until probably maybe three years in recovery, like I would, um, judge how I was doing if things were okay in the world by the size of my stomach. Um, so that started early when I was four and went on for, doing the math in my head a long time. <laughs> um, so then after that, um, when I was around eight or nine, I started compulsively exercising and, um, I started doing it as a way to have uh, something in common with my father. He's where I learned, uh, my compulsive exercising habits from. And, um, and, um, I wanted to do something with him and he really liked exercising. And so I would run, I would run with him and I would run like five K's. And, um, that's not necessarily something that is appropriate or healthy to do as an eight or a nine year old. Uh, but nobody stopped me. And so, um, and I was really good at it, but it also conflicted with my, with my ballet practice because, um, uh, you use different muscle groups and I was, um, a, a talented ballerina and my instructor was very worried that I would build up the wrong types of muscles. And so we had to like, we would butt heads about my compulsive exercising, um, from fairly early age. Then when I was 12, I started restricting my food. Um, I had restricted off and on, um, as a way to control what was going on in my life, uh, earlier than that. But when I was 12, I started restricting um, significantly. And it was, um, 
middle school. Yay, middle school. Um, and I just was really uncomfortable. I was starting to develop and, you know, like puberty, et cetera, and just didn't feel very prepared for it now that I look back on it. And, um, as a result, just really tried to control my environment in a way, you know, I was in a new school, I had new friends, um, and I was just really uncomfortable. And that was when it was really clear that what, now that I look back on it, it wasn't clear at the time. Um, when I look back on it now, it was really clear that that was in response to, um, not being able to handle life on life's terms and not being equipped to handle life on life's terms and not asking like my part a lot of the time is just not asking. Um, so I suffered as a result and descended into my eating disorder. Um, so, um, that, those three things, the body image, the exercising, and then the restriction of my food, um, took hold that they were, um, really, um, from that moment, the three of them were like this trifecta that I participated in, um, for many, many years. And what I found, um, you know, the, the process of surrender. (laughs) So, I believe that my eating disorder originally started as a way to help me, as a way to protect me, as a way to keep me safe, as a way to actually keep me in this world. Um, and it was helpful and, and I would dabble in it at first and you know, it, it did, it felt good to restrict. It felt good to run myself way too much. It felt good. Oh, it's so, it's just so, it's so powerless, so powerless over this disease to look in the mirror and nitpick my body and like decide what I wanted to change. Um, and so at first it was giving me something that I didn't have otherwise. Then <laughs> that changed as, <laughs> as life got bigger and bigger and bigger. I needed more and more and more of my eating disorder in able in order to be able to exist in, in this world. And, um, ultimately it just got too big for me. Um, you know, changing schools, um, you know, getting friends, losing friends, getting boyfriends, losing boyfriends, um, going to college, leaving college. I thought my life was over. (laughs) I thought my life was over when I graduated from college. And it's so funny now. I was like, Oh, I wish, I wish somebody, you know, I wish I had shown my sadness, um, at that so that somebody could have reassured me and said, no, that so much better is about to come. But I didn't let myself, you know, I've, I've heard in the rooms and I've know for myself that, you know, this, the eating disorders are an inability to live life on life's terms and also to not to feel feelings an inability to feel feelings. And, um, the only feeling that I could feel was happy and it wasn't even really happy. It was like this mask of happy. It was like, I put on, you know, the comedy tragedy mask, like here's the comedy face. Like that is it. And that's just what I'm going to wear. Cause I didn't feel comfortable expressing any other ones and I didn't know how to. Um, but I do remember sitting on the floor of that apartment, um, in, of that I was leaving my senior year in college after I graduated and it being empty of our furniture and just sobbing and then pulling myself together and being like, I'm totally okay. And I was not totally okay. Um, but then the biggest thing that happened for me was when I moved to San Francisco. I'm originally from North Carolina and, um, I moved, um, in, on December 23rd, 2005 to San Francisco. 
and um, was miserable. <laughs> I was so miserable. It was so different from home, and um, it was something that I'd wanted to do. I'd always wanted to live outside of North Carolina, and I'd always wanted to live in a city, so it was technically what I wanted, but it was not what I had um, anticipated, and it was not what I expected, and so um, I was separated from my friends and my family. I was sending glowing reports home about how wonderful it was out here, so I, again, didn't give anybody the opportunity to um, help, and uh, and descended really quickly into the last throes of my eating disorder. Um I lost the last 10 pounds that I didn't have to lose, and this is when the process of surrender really started to happen. I made a mess of my life, a mess of my life, and um, only recently have I really like forgiven myself for just how dark and gross it got, um, but I remember I went home to North Carolina, and um, I... Um, I was really sick. I like ran away basically from San Francisco. I got basically like a one-way ticket and went home and my parents didn't even recognize me when I got off the plane. Like that's how bad I had gotten. And um, I'll never forget that coming down off this escalator and them just still looking for their daughter. (laughs) Um, And I remember that while I was home, I think I had my my first God, God moment that I was aware of where I said out loud, I can't, I don't want to live like this anymore. Like I didn't want to live like that anymore. And, um, my sponsor has taught me that God is slow, but he's always on time. And when it's time, he moves quick. And, um, so be ready. (laughs) And so that is what happened. I put that out there in the universe and all of a sudden, I was doing footwork that I never thought I would do. I found an intensive outpatient program that took my insurance. And um, so I went and had an intake. And I really did not think that they would take me because I didn't think that I was anorexic enough. And my definition <laughs> my definition of what was anorexic enough um, was at that point, Nicole Ritchie. Do you all remember that was going on? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I looked just like her. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm, I'm so much better off than she is. I don't think they'll take me. And what I found out later was that they actually were trying to figure out, should they take me or should they refer me to higher care and then take me after I finished that? So um, they sent me to OA. Part of the requirements was to come to OA. I would have never, I don't know if God would have, if I would have been aware of God sending me to OA unless I had had somebody say, you must go. Um, and so I started going and I hated it <laughs> and um, still wasn't at my actual bottom yet. That was in August of um, 2006. And then in November of 2006, I was discharged from that program, referred to higher care, and uh, went to a residential program. And at that point, my down in San Diego, and at that point, the woman at the center who was working with me asked me if I believed in a spiritual solution. And I, at that point, the answer was an unequivocal yes, because nothing else was working. I knew what a mess of my life I had made, and I was ready for something greater than me to take it. So I surrendered haltingly, (laughs) but I surrendered that first year, um, working the steps after I got out of, 
I left. Um, I, I stayed. Ended up staying for sixty days at that um, home in San Diego, and um, gained ten pounds back in those sixty days, and then had the rest of it to gain outside. That took that took about a year to get to that point, um, uh, to where my weight was stable, and so. Um, I was working the steps, but I was really holding on while I was working the steps. I wasn't totally surrendered yet. I worked step one, totally got that I was powerless and definitely understood that my life had become unmanageable. Work step two, wasn't so sure still about this God stuff because I had grown up Southern Baptist, which, you know... God was a little scary. Let's not lie. It was a little scary um, to me from that. And I didn't, you know, but like being and being given the ability in step three to step two and three to create a God of my understanding was just so confusing to me. But I started to do it and um, and still didn't really know my my concept of God that I had to really break out of and, and to be able to surrender to a power greater than myself. Um, was that I was just this small person that God didn't care about. That was what I had envisioned, that there were way more important things in this world for God to be focused on rather than Leslie and, and her problems. And so when I was able to break through that and create a God for myself that um, – that cared about me and that wanted me to be a healthy body weight and that didn't care about what size clothes I wore, didn't care about how much I weighed, didn't care um, about the, you know, just didn't, I, that I was not a statue. I was not a statue. My body was going to grow and change and it was going to ebb and flow and it was going to do all these things and really developing, um, by developing a relationship with my higher power, I was also able to develop a relationship with my body which I really try and talk to my sponsees about and that I work in my program now where I used to, I, and I still do, I actively talk to my body. Like if I, um, have like apparently, uh, you know, sometimes I'll still have a day where it's, um, where I didn't have enough to eat and I don't realize it until I wake up the next, like in the middle of the night at 4am and I'm really hungry and I'm like, Oh, yesterday wasn't so great. I won't, I'll, you know, I'll do better today. Like I'll rub my stomach. I'll be like, it's totally okay. Get up, get a snack, go back to sleep and be like, it's Okay. I promise I'm not like, you know, I'm not starving you. Like I have to actually have that relationship with my body because for the longest time it didn't trust me. It didn't trust me. I was trying to kill it. I didn't know that. <laughs> so, um, so we had to develop, we, me and my body, we have a relationship now and, um, and I take care of it. And that to me is part of this whole surrender where like, where it, I used to live life from like, I'm gesturing right now to the microphone, um, from my neck up. Um, did not inhabit the rest of my body. And now I, you know, I work the steps. I've worked the steps several times. I'm now working the traditions. Um, I have eight sponsees. I love them all. They're amazing. They bring light into my life. And the only way that I can stay in recovery is if I give it back. Um, if I give away what I've been so generously given, um, I, go to, I've, it's led me into another program. This program has, um, between the two, I go to six meetings a week. Um, I, I go to meet, I travel a lot for work and for fun. I go to meetings when I'm away. Um, I stay in touch with fellows, like some of my best friends in this entire world. I have met through these rooms and, um, I'm so lucky they've become like family. We do Thanksgiving together. 
I'm going to their weddings. Like, I mean, just, you know, friendships that I never thought were possible. I got because I've worked the steps and because I've surrendered. I was so isolated. I was just, I was a person who was around and who was friendly and bubbly and like, but underneath, I'm sure that people could see that there was a deep, profound sadness and anger that I wouldn't tap into. And, and so I kept people at a distance and, um, suffered as a result. And now like I would never go back to that again because I've just seen what it can be like when I am a full, complete person with my higher power being the most important thing in my life. That's, um, also how I've surrendered is that like the ranking of, of importance of things in my life starts with God up top, then me, (laughs) And then everybody else is almost on like equal footing underneath that. Even if if I'm in a romantic relationship, my friendships, my family, like everything like is, is below those two relationships. Because if I don't have the relationship with God and if I ignore a relationship with myself, then I'm no good to anybody. And I know that. And so I, um, that's why I keep working this program as hard as I do. And, um, I love it. I love it when I, I mean, it's so funny. There's a couple of people in this room who, who were here when I first came in and I'm sure that if back then they had bet themselves some money that I would stand up here and say, I love this program. They'd be like, no way. <laughs> Cause I hated everyone and everything, but it was because I hated myself. Um, so it, there's, you know, I continue to surrender every day. Um, I have to food still is sometimes a challenge. Um, And I'm okay with that because now I have a solution and the solution has become like muscle memory at this point. Um, and that's why I keep coming back because, because that voice still lives in my head that, that tells me that when I'm having a challenging situation at work that I should restrict or go for a run, um, because that still lives there, I keep coming back and I keep working the steps and I keep working with others because if I don't, I'm gone again and I know it. So, um, thank you so much for being here, for letting me share. It is, um, such a a powerful thing to be able to share my story and, um, and, uh, to know that I'm going to keep coming back. So thank you so much. Our second speaker is Mr. Greg and welcome Greg. Hi, everyone. I'm Greg. I'm a compulsive overeater, anorexic, and bulimic. Hi, and I really do have to laugh that the, the conference room with the uh, ABC meeting has a big old mirror in it. <laughs> so I get to look at myself while I share, which is really great and exciting. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I'll share my, my story, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now, and then kind of wrap in, surrender into that. Um, I also started my eating disorder when I was fairly young. I remember being um, – actually, first I'll qualify. So I've been in program since 2006. Uh, my top weight was about 50 pounds heavier than I am right now. My bottom weight, about 20 pounds or so less than I am right now. And um, tomorrow I'll have seven years of abstinence. So I'm super excited about that. Yeah, and then September 13th I'll have – eight years free from purging. So as you can see, like I was still binging, but I wasn't purging. So like it all took kind of place in steps. Um, so like I mentioned, my eating disorder did take off when I was 
younger. I started when I was about, I'm not quite sure if I was eight or 10. And, um, you know, I grew up in a house where like the worst thing you could ever be was fat. You know, that was just awful. And my mom and my aunt and my grandma all on diets all the time. And so I kind of learned that, you know, no matter what, just don't be fat. And so I took that at eight or 10 and I'm like, well, I'm fat and I should be on a diet. And so I started measuring out my food. And so I would like measure out my snacks, like popcorn and whatnot. And I put it in a measuring cup. And then if people tried to take it, I would yell at them uh, because that was mine. (laughs) That's all I get. And um, I always, you know, thought I was fat. I would always be like, I need to work on my stomach. And I was a 10 year old boy and just, it was just really ingrained in me. And I just saw a huge body, even though I wasn't huge. When I look back at my, um, would you mind? When I look back at pictures of me when I was a kid, I was a normal, a normal weight, a normal size. And I just couldn't see it. You know, my eyes were broken then and they're slowly getting better now. Um, but my eating disorder, like got really bad. I'm passing around some pictures and there's one picture with a post-it on it and it's just covering up one of my binge foods. It was hard to find a picture without food in it. So, (laughs) you know, I kind of covered it up, but, um, (laughs) it's true. Um, they're all at celebrations because I was really the only time you were ever going to catch me like was at a celebration or a party or whatnot. And I was always around the food. So that's where I was going to be. Um, so my eating sort of really kind of took off when I was in college. And I, like Leslie, was a dancer and, um, you know, started training and I studied ballet and modern and jazz and being in rooms with mirrors and people constantly talking about body and weight and having to wear leotards and tights became even more obsessed with my body and my body image. I mean, I was, I was already obsessed, but it really got even worse. And um, I started restricting during the day. I would put myself on these, you know, diets where I would eat no fat whatsoever. So everything was fat-free during the day. I would go to you know dance rehearsals, dance classes, go to the gym. Then I would come home from rehearsal or class, and I would make sure I stopped at various different restaurants to pick up my binge foods. I would get home, sit in front of the TV in my bedroom by myself, and just eat, typically watching Golden Girls or Designing Women or something like that, something on Lifetime. You know, there was something about watching, like, old women shows and binging that was just very comforting for me. <laughs> And, um, and that was what I did every single day. And that pattern went on for 10 years. And, you know, it was, it was even more than that. It was like, okay, it was like trying to sneakily get from place to place and like vary my places enough so people wouldn't recognize me, um, because I I had so much shame around it and then getting all my food into my bedroom. And I had at 1.9 roommates and, um, we lived in a house and trying to get maneuver through the house so nobody would see me with all these big bags of food and stuffing it all in my backpack. And then, of course, when I was done eating, getting rid of the wrappers and getting rid of the food. And um, and I got rid of the food through over-exercising and through purging. And it wasn't – I didn't always do that. There were some nights I would just sit with it. But most of the time I would have to get rid of it. And, um, you know, there was instances – like I went to college in upstate New York and it would be winter – 30 degrees, 20 degrees, sometimes zero. And I would finish a binge with a, and with a full stomach. I would be in my running clothes, running the streets of upstate New York in the freezing cold until I threw up. And then I would run back. And like that was just complete unmanageability, but it was really the, the best that I could do. Like I just had no clue of how to, to cope with life and my feelings and 
just being in my body. I was just really unhappy and really miserable. And this pattern went on for just many, many years. You know, I was active in my disease from probably 90, 96 to 2006 with the um, binging and purging and restricting. That's when I was like at its worst. And then I came in in 2006 into recovery. And um, I came in hating myself. I came in wanting to die. I came in thinking that the really only way out was death. You know, because I just couldn't stop. I had tried everything. I had been to therapists. I had tried, you know, different diets. I had tried weighing and measuring. I tried weighing myself, not weighing myself. You know, those things where you drink the drinks, like just whatever it was. But I could never, you know, control it. You know, I would be on a diet. I would lose some weight. Um and it would last for a little bit of time. Like if you told me, oh, Greg, you're looking good, I could follow my food plan for another week. Um, and the more compliments I got, the longer I could stay on my diet. But at some point, you know, you plateau and the compliments stop. And then I was like, I was back in the food. And plus, like I could only deal with not having the food for so long before like it got really crazy, like where I feel like I'm going to crawl out of my skin if I don't eat. And um and that's what I did, you know, and it was just this pattern for 10 years and I was really unhappy and really miserable. And like when I came into program, you know, um, I felt, I just felt completely defeated and I didn't know what to do. And, um, I was just hoping that there would be an alternative, you know? And when I heard that this topic was going to be the process of surrender, I'm like, oh, fuck what the hell is that i'm gonna talk about and i'm like what the hell is even surrender and so like i went and looked it up because you know i want to of course have the perfect share and so i want everyone to love me so i'm like okay let's look it up get a great definition and share about so surrender is to stop fighting and to accept defeat and i really came into this program feeling absolutely defeated and I didn't know what else I could do. I had you know, tried everything, and it was just beyond my control. Like, I just didn't know. And so I came into this program being like, all right, what do you guys got? <laughs> what can you show me that I haven't already tried myself or done? And I didn't come in with a lot of hope. And I came into that first meeting, and a speaker shared, and I really did so much of her story. And I was like, huh, well, maybe I'll just keep coming back. And... You know, and that's what I did, and um, and I learned a lot in this program. And I actually hit one of my bottoms in this program um, because I really didn't even realize that restricting was a bad thing. I thought that I wasn't binging, and so this is great. Like I came in, my first abstinence was not binging and purging and refraining from a few binge foods, and then all of a sudden I'm I had lost like. 30 35 pounds and i'm just like because i didn't come in at my top weight and i'm super thin and i'm freezing cold and i'm in all this pain and i'm completely miserable obsessed with food all the time i'm like but i'm you know thin what the fuck like where where are these promises like i'm working the steps and i'm absolutely crazy and i'm obsessed with food and i had no clue that i was you know hurting myself and i would call my sponsor and be like i skipped my lunch and he'd be like well, that's not good. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean? You're not proud of me? <laughs> Didn't I do good? And he's like, he's like, no, it's like, you know, we can't skip meals. And like, you know, it just got worse and worse. And I hit a whole new bottom in this program. And it was like, I felt like I came in like surrendered, but then I had to surrender even more. Like I surrendered that my disease was even bigger than I thought it was. You know, it really is cunning by feeling powerful. And it is always there waiting to come back in. You know, and as a compulsive reader, anorexic and bulimic, it's like it's coming at me in different ways. It's like, Greg, you should eat 
everything. Greg, you should eat nothing. <laughs> Greg, you should eat everything and then go run. Greg, you should eat nothing and go run. You know what I mean? And it's like the disease is not saying, Greg, eat a moderate meal and then maybe take one yoga class two hours after you eat. You know, like that's not the disease. I mean, that's not what it's saying to me. And so like it was like, okay, I need to surrender that. I am absolutely insane when it comes to food. And so like coming in, Step one for me was admitting that I, that I was defeated and that I needed an alternative. And this program was my alternative. And I just came in. And I was like, okay, just give me, give me something. Give me what you got. You know, and then step two came to believe that a higher power could restore me to sanity. Um, you know, this one was like I've heard this referred to as the, you know, God can step. And it's like, huh, like was I willing to surrender? Like it came in willing to surrender my food. You know, I felt like completely powerless. My life was unmanageable. Thank you. And um, I got that. You know what I mean? Like, but it was the rest of my life that I wasn't really sure that I could actually surrender. It's like, why would I do that? You know, and like God, God can. And like other people showed me that like when I let God take over, things are so much better. And so I'm like, well, other people are saying that if I let God take over, over my life that things are going to get better and those people are long time abstinence and those people are in healthy bodies and those people are not throwing up on the side of the road hmm maybe I'll give that a shot <laughs> alrighty so let's see okay so I'm powerless over food my life is unmanageable alright okay okay let's move on to step two and I'm like okay so I can accept God's help well how am I going to do that like why would I want to do that and how can I make that possible? Because I really came into this program believing that God hated me. And I actually had to take step two several times. The first time I, I took it, my sponsor was like, no, you didn't take step two. You're maybe step one and a half. And I was like, I don't understand. And like, I've, and like after conversations with him and more writing, it was like I came to believe that a higher power could restore me to sanity but would not because he hated me. And so it was like, oh, well, that's not really the step. It's sort of like I came, I had the belief, but it wasn't quite there yet. So he sent me back and had me do it again. And then another sponsor had me do it again. And I did step two like three to four times because I just, I wasn't acting as if and I couldn't come to believe. And part of the surrender process for me is like I have to surrender to something that I actually believe in. And if I can't believe in something, whether it's God, higher power, the doorknob, the rooms, whatever it is, if I, if I can't believe in it, then I'm not going to surrender to it and then and then nothing is going to change for me and so it was like okay so I um you know I went back into step two and step two and step two and what what helped me so much was writing out this job description and my sponsor was like your higher power is Mr. Potato Head okay in the sense that you can build it to to look and do whatever it is that you want it to do and that to me was absolutely amazing because I came from a religion where God was this and if you did A, B, and C, you were going to go to hell and be punished. And I did A, B, and C, and then I did D, E, and F. And so I was like, you know what? I'm fucked. So, but it was like, hey, I can build my own higher power, you know, kind of like build your own omelet. And, um, and I did that. And it was like, okay, well, I want a higher power that's loving. That's going to love me unconditionally. And I want a higher power that's going to be with me always. And it's going to take care of me. 
and that is going to support me and not going to be punishing and not be cruel and not be mean and not wave its finger in my face and said, I told you, you should have done this. You know, I want a higher power that's going to forgive me and say, okay, well, what did you learn from this? All right, well, you know, next time maybe it'll be different. You know, I needed that love and support because that was the only way I was going to surrender and do the God can step. And, um, and one of my sponsors suggested, because I had such a tenuous relationship, to write down on a sheet of paper all the qualities of my higher power and all the qualities that my higher power did not have and to put that in my wallet. And whenever something that I didn't like happened or bad, as I like to call it, because anything I didn't like was obviously bad for me, right? Because I knew it was best. Um, anytime anything I didn't like happened, I was to pull out that card and look at it and be like, well, God loves me. Well, for example, okay. I miss my bus and I'm late for work and then I get in trouble. All right. Well, okay. Well, God loves me, cares for me. He's patient with me. He is not mean. He is not vindictive and he's not cruel. So for some reason, this is a gift for me. And I'm not always sure why that is. Like, I don't always know why it's a gift, but just looking at it, being like, wow, well, if this is not being done to me, it's being done for me. And for me, it's like, wow, okay, so he's on my side. And even though I may not understand what he's doing, he's there for me. And so for me, that was really helped me build that, that faith and that trust in a higher power because I, you know, I came to believe that, wow, you know, he's there for me. He's on my side. Like, and I didn't have that before. And so knowing that he was going to be on my side made it so much easier for me to you know, turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understood him. And that's the step three. That's the, you know, God, I think I'll let God. So like step one is I can't. Step two, God can. Step three is I think I'll let God. And so in this step is also, you know, for me, surrender. It's like I can't do it, God, so I'm just going to give it to you, and I'm going to let you take care of it. You tell me what to do, and I will do it. And that to me is just a a huge part of surrender. You know, like before program, um, I didn't surrender. I gave up. And typically what giving up meant was I was going to say, fuck it and eat or fuck it and go for a run. And that's what I did. And in program, I've learned surrender is, well, I mean, you can say fuck it, but for me, it's surrender. All right, I'm going to give it to God, you know? And so like, for me, it's like reminding myself that like both situations I'm letting go, but like in one situation, I'm reaching towards recovery and towards God. And in the giving up, I'm reaching towards the disease. And so for me, I want to be continuously reaching for recovery and reaching for my higher power. And so that's why like I'll choose to surrender versus giving up. And, um, and so like, what does like surrendering things look like in my life right now? Um, you know, I'm at a job right now. Um, I just started a new job, uh, actually on the 1st of July. As same company, new job. I have no job description. I don't know what I'm really supposed to be doing. And I just show up and I'm like, okay, God, show me what it is I'm supposed to do. I've asked my bosses, what do I do? They're not clear yet. I'm like, all right, I surrender this to you. I will do whatever it is I'm supposed to do and I will learn what that is whenever I'm supposed to learn it. You know, um, we also are in the process of like hiring a new CEO and it's not going well. And I've had to surrender to the fact that, like, okay, Things are not going well, and I can't fix it. I'm not driving this process, and I have to let it go. And I've been finding that, like, with these things that have been coming up, my God can is so helpful. 
You know, I, I love my God can. I write on a little piece of paper whatever it is that I'm struggling with and whatever it is that I need to turn over or surrender to my higher power. And I stick it in that little can and I say the third step prayer and I let it go. And sometimes I have to stick it in that can a couple of times because, you know, I put it in and then I want to like take it back and put it in and take it back. But um, ultimately when I surrender it, I feel so much better. You know, before program, I tried to control everything, and it just didn't work for me. And when I surrendered to the fact that, thank you, that I'm not in control, and I don't need to be in control, and that God has this, and I'm going to be okay, regardless of what happens, it is truly, like, an amazing thing. And I feel calm, and I feel at peace, because I'm trusting it's all going to be good. And um, so, like, I continue to surrender things every day, and... The one thing that I'm currently surrendering is that I just had to let go of another food group that um, I'm struggling with this one because, like, I don't eat it compulsively, but when I eat it, it just makes me sick. And I feel entitled to eat it because I don't eat it compulsively, but the reality is that it's making my life unmanageable, even though it's not compulsive. And so I've had to let it go. And I've just been like, all right, God. For today, will you please just take this food group from me because I don't want to eat it and and get sick. And it sucks sometimes because acceptance doesn't mean I have to like it, but it's just the way it is. And so I'm like, okay, I surrender, God. Please take this from me. And um, and probably the, you know, what I have to remember in the whole surrender process is that God is with me and just to continue to pray and continue to trust. And when I'm having difficulty surrendering things, I can say, God, please take this from me, you know, or God, yank it out of my hands, you know, because I'll be like, Okay, I, I surrender this to you, God, you know? <laughs> and sorry for the people on, you know, listening. I did a visual. Um, you know, because that's how it is sometimes. It's like I really don't want to let it go, and I want to hold on, and I want to control, but it does not work for me. My best efforts had me completely miserable in the food, binging, purging, restricting, miserable, alone, isolated, wanting to die. You know, that was my best effort. That was me in control. And in this program, I've learned a different solution. And the fact that, like, today I'm in a healthy weight, been in a healthy weight for over six years. I mean, I have an amazing relationship with myself, thank you, with my partner, with my higher power. I have friends. Like, I didn't think this was fucking possible. You know, like, I really didn't. I just thought, you know, I'll get, maybe I'll get a life. You know what I mean? Like, but I've gotten a life beyond my wildest dreams. And, um, you know, this program is, for me, it is a lot of work. I go to four meetings a week. I sponsor eight people. I work the steps. I um, I do service at the meeting level. I do service at the intergroup level. I, I speak when I'm asked to speak. I'm working the steps right now with my sponsor and all of my sponsees. I have a food plan. I have a plan of exercise. I make outreach calls, not as many as I would like. That's the tool I struggle with. And I do writing almost daily. And... It sounds like a lot when I say it, but the reality is I did a lot more work in my disease because my disease was a 24-hour thing. So if I spend two to two and a half hours a day on my program, that's nothing. That is relief, and I'm happy to spend it because, you know, the promises are so much better than being in the disease. And I'm so just grateful to be here. Thank you for letting me share, and I'm looking forward to hearing your questions. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Greg. And our third speaker is Esther. And let's welcome Esther.
Hi, it's nice to see all your faces here today and to hear from my uh, recovering <laughs> or recovered uh, uh, people as well. Um, I'm going to turn over what I say to my higher power. I'll start telling you a little bit about my background, but I want to stick mostly to the topic. Um, boy, this is a big <laughs> thing right in my face. And, um, uh, I'm Esther. I'm a recovered vomiter. Hi, I'm uh, with over 30 years of abstinence from vomiting. I am a recovered compulsive eater with not quite three years and have let go of 65 pounds this point. Um, the big book, which is the text I use uh, in my Overeaters Anonymous Primary Purpose group, um, says, no, I lost my train, says that, um, uh, I think I, I don't know where I was going with that. I kind of faded out on that one. I think surrender is is this very similar or the same as acceptance. And the 449, it's on a new page now in the new edition, uh, acceptance is the answer to all my problems today, um, is where surrender really begins. Now, of course, like all of us, when you do the steps, and for me, the recovery has been through the steps, not through, we have a little phrase, it's not the meetings you make, it's the steps you take, because uh, in this little part of OA, but it's a little uh, subgroup, uh, and um, because we saw so many people going to meetings for decades, and, you know, making phone calls, whatever they were doing, and never taking the steps. It was one, two, three, flee. And <laughs> and our group um, that takes people through the steps exactly as directed by the big book. So you may be taken through the steps in a matter of uh, days or weeks. And... Um, uh, we use the format, and we get people to s begin just about to start making their amends, and then you start living in steps 10, 11, and 12. And to me, the key to recovery, and no, I'm not perfect, and I don't do it perfectly, and I mess up. And uh, I say I'm recovered because that's what the big book says. That's what the hundred people who wrote that book uh, 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 said. This is how we have recovered. Not in recovery forever. This is how we have recovered. And um, um, so th there's so much in the big book that, that has taught me. And one of the... Me, the, pro, the reason I need a higher power, and it doesn't have to be God, and it doesn't, it, it can be whatever, whatever, is because I need, I need to look in the mirror and say, oh, I'm not it. 
That's the most important thing about having a power. I'm not it. You know, and that humility that comes from realizing that you're not running the world. And the relief that comes from realizing you don't have to. You're not responsible for how everything turns out with everything, everybody around you and every other uh, situation that you're trying to control. And it is a tremendous relief because I thought <laughs> that was my job, especially as a mother. And, you know, I, I just thought I had to make everything come out all right. And, uh, boy, that was, <laughs> that was not pleasant. That was not comfortable. And uh, so the more serene place to be is in acceptance. And I have control of certain things, me, uh, with the help of my higher power. Uh, And I don't have control over people, places, things, what happens, uh, the world. And because I'm small, which... I say in a good way, not in a low self-esteem way, because I'm small. I don't think that I'm responsible for things that are well beyond, you know, my capacity. I'm not responsible for not compulsively overeating. I'm responsible for being willing not to and asking my high power for strength and taking footwork, doing footwork and that kind of thing. But the outcome the first step says I'm powerless, uh, then often we, we tend to go into, oh, well, but then I'm going to have this really strict food plan and I'm going to really do this and I'm really going. And then right back, we've taken back the powerlessness and said, oh, we're going to control it through these external means. And um, that didn't work for me. And I tried for years and years. And what I found was that surrender was to um, uh, was what worked for me, that I could um, uh, let go of the food, that I could, with, with help in the program and the steps, the spiritual basis of the, the, the program is spiritually based. And with the help of that, uh, um, that can be the whole solution for many people. And because I couldn't follow a food plan, I can never stay stick to a food plan, um, uh, that didn't work for me. And so I went to a program where there is no food plan. And uh, I remember when I talked to pe- people, uh, the big book uses the word uh, protégés, not sponsees. And... Uh, and you tell you ask questions when somebody calls to ask you to sponsor, and you ask questions. Are you desperate? Are you desperate? Nobody's going to work the steps if they're not really desperate. It's that's just human nature, I guess. And can can, can you um, um, are you able to? Uh, can you stop co- compulsively overeating or throwing up or whatever you're doing? And uh, can you stay stopped? That's the the final thing, because some of us can stop for a while, but we can't stay stopped. And then we take that person who we then accept as being a real compulsive overeater, and uh, at the point of a bottom, we get a lot of people from regular OA, um, uh, 
then we take people through the steps um, and the recovery is in the steps. For my bulimia, I had uh, about 10 years of throwing up uh, and restriction was like when I was on a diet, then I would try to eat later and do things like that. But um, and I would I would binge and throw up um, maybe seven eight times a day. I you know Tom was saying at the speakers thing that um, he was a low bottom compulsive overeater. Well, I uh, I think that. Um, uh, Nobody is as low a bottom compulsive overeater as someone who can throw up and keep eating and throw up and keep eating all day. And uh, the the whole experience of throwing up is a compulsion too. And it brings a release of tension and a relaxation after you've done it that... um, uh, can become addictive too because it, it's a way of calming yourself. And I agree these disorders are there uh, to help us and we use them while we have to and um, to take care of ourselves. So in a way they're a gift of loving that we give to ourselves in order to cope w- with what we're not coping with very well. And then, of course, we know they take on life of their own, and then, and, and then we're completely, completely out of control. So, to stop vomiting, uh, and these were in the days. This is over thirty years ago, where you'd go in and say you were bulimic, and people didn't know what it was. I always said vomiting, um, and um, uh, but people didn't understand. What happened for me in that recovery, since this is an ABC meeting, is that I started calling a lady who was um, didn't know anything about bulimia, but I called, and for six months, I called her and reported to her, not that I could keep track of what I was eating when I was binging, but approximately what I thought I had eaten and how many times I had thrown up that day. And that was the honesty, willingness, openness right there. I didn't know it in those, those terms. And what I had asked her to do, and she did faithfully, was not to comment. Uh, there was no, um, I, I couldn't deal with somebody saying, well, that was good, or you're doing better, or that was not good, or, you know, I didn't want to hear, I didn't want to do that. And um, so I did that for six months while I worked the step steps. And when I did that fourth step uh, that time, that first time, um, and I was throwing up mainly because I was a compulsive overeater and I couldn't control my weight. And uh, that's how it started anyway. Then it became its own illness within within itself. So um, I then I started working the steps. And I worked step... Um, uh, I, I, I uh, remember uh, giving away my fourth step, and I didn't do that one right as described in the big book at that time. And there was something I wouldn't forgive myself for, and I just wouldn't forgive myself. It was too horrible, 
And it wasn't that horrible, really. To, 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 but in my mind, it was too horrible. And my sponsor said, if God forgives you, who are you to not forgive yourself? And I went, oh, oh, I was being the higher power. I had better judgment than God, you know. And if I can feel my higher power forgives me, that wasn't good enough because I wasn't going to. And I had to let it go. And I remember walking out of her house um, and thinking that the phrase, you will be amazed before halfway through, was happening. There's so much fell off. It was so much relief. And uh, uh, and then in, at the end of that six months while I was doing the steps, a thought came into my head and it was, you're not going to have the life you want or I'm not going to have the life I want uh, if I don't stop doing this. And I just call it grace. That's the last time I threw up, you know. And I also, having worked with people who have bulimia, have while it ultimately is a yes or no, it's more like an alcoholic thing. You either do or you don't. Uh, so I had to stop. I had to stop... Um, uh, vomiting and my compulsive overeating was still not under control. So I had to get fat and I would go into OA meetings and try to explain that uh, my gaining weight was my success. <laughs> try passing that off. You know? <laughs> and I got up to like two, <laughs> 235.6 pounds, I remember. And uh, uh, and and now I've given away, and for about the last year and a half, I'm 65 pounds lower. And uh, so I rely on my spiritual practice, step 11, meditation. I started meditating uh, uh, years ago and uh, to, to quiet the mind that is going crazy in, in our heads because that's one of the sources of the of the uh, uh, of the illness is the, the craziness in our heads the they call stinking thinking you know and um, so I uh, I guess you surrender and then uh, you just say well you know I'm giving this over to my higher power, to the doorknob, whatever. So you're not God. And then when you, um, as you surrender and you go through that process more and more, you develop trust. So I have difficult problems in my life. I'm in the midst of leaving my husband and uh, have moved to Nashville. I have an illness for 28 years. And yet... Uh, uh, my cart out there stopped working, and I don't know how I'm going to fix it until I, I I can live in the present moment, be here with you, and then that will, you know. So if life keeps going on. I keep messing up, and I there's no – I don't beat myself up. I, 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 I act as if I think my higher power would. You know, oh, you shouldn't have eaten that. Oh, you know, that's not my higher power. My higher power that anymore. 
you know, now it's, uh, it's okay, well, what's next? There's, you know, I, I don't expect myself to be perfect. I don't expect myself to do it perfectly. Uh, perfect is the enemy of my program and th- or thinking uh, I should be perfect. And I forgive myself when I mess up pretty quickly, almost immediately sometimes. And I go on. Because this is a program, but this the above that is life, and life does not work with with uh, you know not forgiving yourself and beating yourself up. It doesn't work very well uh, as you go on. But um, uh, and so I just offer myself the gent- gentleness, the kindness, the self care, the. Um, uh, Self-respect, you know, uh, that uh, I deserve and that um, comes out of my higher power, um, which for me is, is fluctuates as needed. <laughs> it can be the deepest part inside of myself. It can be, I don't, it's usually not projected out there. And so I would just say if you're struggling the answer is spiritual and uh, the steps are spiritual and they're a wonderful spiritual path to follow and live within and you can supplement them with whatever other kinds of uh, things you can give up your old religion you can take a new religion you can do whatever or have no religion whatever you you know whatever works but that spirituality is in the steps, and so um, that's that's the recovery for me. That's the spiritual recovery of the steps. I'm not in charge of the world, thank God, <laughs> and <laughs> and terrible for the world if I were. <laughs> and I and my little group that that we I think we have about 270 recovered sponsors now and uh uh it's called primary purpose because overeaters anonymous its primary purpose is to take the message to people who are still still suffering and uh, and that is such a joy and a gift to be able to to try to do and it is what helps me with my program so it's selfless and it's selfish uh as well and that's fine because I'm another person and I need to, I can take care of myself as well. And I'm just as important as you are and you're just as important as I am. And, but it's wonderful to get to the point where you're living that primary purpose where your first thought isn't about you uh, because that's this, the nature of our disease is selfishness, self-centeredness. And that's what you find from working the steps. So I wish you all a happy road on, a ride on the road to recovery, and I think it's a lifetime uh, journey. <laughs> Thank you, Esther. Um, all right, I will now gra- draw questions from the Ask It Basket for our panelists. We even got a donation in here. Thank you very much to, to the Richies. Uh, 
Oh, that's okay. I'll give you a, I'll give you a refund before the end. Okay. So, um, our first question, um, what are your warning signs that the anorexic, that, that the anorexia is getting activated? And I assume this question is for anyone that would like to answer it. Um, I would imagine just for the, the recording in the CD that you might have to come up, but not if that activates your anorexia and you can stay there. (laughs) Answering this question. Okay. What was it again? Um, Where is it? Actually, here you go. Thanks. Okay. What are the warning signs that anorexia is getting activated? Um, so, I mean, it's my disease, right? Um, So what I've had to learn is that there are certain vulnerabilities that I have where it makes the voice louder. The voice that always lives in my head just gets, um, it gets louder. And so what it, you know, what it, what I hear, um, is like, um, you know, get a smaller plate at lunch at the office, fill that up instead of like, you know, rather than like my normal size plate, um, or, um, you know, the idea that like, be really great to go on a run tonight. Like, you know, I'm allowed to go running. Um, but usually when I have the idea to go running, it's in response to stress. And so it's, um, the warning signs are halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, um, anxiety. When my anxiety gets triggered, I know that I need to be even more conscious of what I'm eating because it shuts off my, it's like, um, it's like there's a trap door over my stomach that if I even put food in, it wouldn't be able to get in. Like that's like what I've envisioned kind of happens. So um, those are the types of things that like I experience. And the the second half of this question is how do you handle it? I lean into program. I make calls. Um, I make calls during the day at work. I go out and like walk around the block um, at my office and return calls or listen to sponsee messages or make a program call for myself. Um I go to meetings. Usually um, I have regular meetings throughout the week that I go to that I know that I'm going to be there. Um, I get outside help. I have um, a therapist and a nutritionist that uh, that have worked with me since I entered um, my intensive outpatient program. So for eight years, they've known me almost. Um, and I... Um, I get service. Like I just do all the tools. The tools exist for a reason for me. And so, um, so really I make my program and my God bigger to, to help me handle it. Uh, what does surrender look like in your sponsee relationships? Well, for me, my sponsee relationships, I have to surrender um, their recovery, you know, because I am powerless over that. You know, all I can do is share my experience, strength, and hope I got them through the steps, and and that's it. You know, and um, if they, you know, if, if they're abstinent, that's fantastic. But ultimately, you know, I sponsor for myself so I can keep what uh, keep the recovery that I have, and. Um, you know, if a sponsee is absent, that's fantastic. But ultimately, that's not the reason why I'm sponsoring. I'm sponsoring for myself so I can keep what it is I have. And so I know that sounds kind of selfish, but um, that's that's why I do it. And if my sponsee happens to get absent, that's fantastic. <laughs> and I'd be very happy for them. Um, but my recovery isn't dependent on whether or not they get abstinent. And so I just have to surrender whether or not they take my suggestions and whether or not they, um, you know, how their food is going to be. 
you know, all that stuff is between them and their higher power. And all I can do is, is share my experience, strength, and hope and guide them through the steps. Greg, while you're up, how do you deal with your recovery when you're with your family? Oh, okay, great. Well, um, and it's so funny because I'm leaving on Tuesday to go visit my family for a week. <laughs> so I've been thinking about this, and whenever I am going to visit my family, um, I always go to meetings while I'm there. I still have my all of my sponsees call me. I still call my sponsor. I still do my step work. I still send my food to my sponsor. I do everything that I would do here when I'm visiting them, and then probably a little bit more on top of that because I know that I'll need it and. You know, I have to really just practice a lot of acceptance, you know, that they're going to do what they that they need to do, and I have to do what I have to do to take care of myself. They're going to comment on my food. They're going to comment on my body. I've asked them not to do that. They still do it. So, you know, I'm just like, okay. You know, I shrug my shoulders. That's my family, and I just let it go. You know, and at one point, it was like my first Christmas with them, I spent half the night outside on you know on the patio making program calls because i was so triggered and now i'm just kind of like eh, all right that's my dad all right that's my mom and i just do a lot of praying and that's the biggest thing i just always take my higher power with me my higher power and lots of program literature and um yeah that's what i do thanks um and uh, let's see just to make sure i think we go to 11.45. Okay, great. So um, another question is, what tools do you use to identify and avoid triggers? Anybody? We have all three lifelines available. Uh, oh, so what? To, let me. This isn't the right question. What what tools do I use? What tools do you use to identify and avoid triggers? Okay. Well, I I, I don't quite operate that way. Uh, what I do is um, I know I'm I'm in trouble if I'm wanting to eat or if I'm overeating or something, and then I use that to look back to my spiritual um, condition uh, because I know if I'm thinking about what I'm going to put in my mouth or I'm actually putting something in my mouth, uh, which happens because I'm a compulsive overeater, uh, that something is not solid in my spiritual condition and then I have to use tools to talk to people or to meditate and to pray and ask for direction. Because I, the important thing for me is to stay spiritually fit, in which case everything else falls back into uh, place. Thanks. I think I just want to add that, you know, I don't always know what my triggers will be, but, you know, I learn pretty quick. And, um, you know, for me, I've learned in certain situations, like, for example, like, Going to the beach can be a trigger for me. Anytime I'm having to wear a bathing suit or even going into a bar or a club or even just going into uh, like a work meeting where I have to do something that's uncomfortable. Like anything where I'm going to anticipate that I'm going to feel any type of discomfort can be a trigger for me and I need to work my program around that. 
Um, and that can be something from a work meeting to something where it's like, oh, I'm going to be in a swimsuit. And there'll be lots of guys in a swimsuit. And it's like, oh, that might be triggering. So, um, you know, like I kind of like have learned over time that, you know, what my triggers are. And then also that my triggers can change. In the beginning, like going into certain stores were a trigger. And now I can go into any store. Or being around people when they were eating certain foods was a trigger. And now that's not a trigger anymore. So my triggers change over time. So I just really have to be aware of that. And then know know myself enough to know that, huh, you know, if I'm going to a beach and there's going to be, you know, it's a gay beach and there's going to be like 150 guys in Speedos that I might feel uncomfortable and I might get triggered to either not eat or want to go exercise before I go, or think that I should go into the bathroom, into the stall, and throw up, or maybe just do some push-ups. You know, it's like, okay, I know myself enough to know that, like, okay, I'm going to feel discomfort, but I'm going to practice my program, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to do it. And so, and by do it, I mean show up, and not actually engage in my disease. Um, And so that's kind of how I work around my triggers, and I probably will call somebody in program too and bookend it or something like that. And the last um, question, and then we'll probably close the meeting unless anyone has a burning desire question, was uh, self-care often means staying at home to get dinner and rest rather than go to a meeting. How do I get in enough meetings with this perspective? Yeah, for me, I don't have this mindset. <laughs> um, for me, in my, I would binge and purge and restrict whether I was tired, whether I was sick, whatever it might have been. So when I'm tired, when I don't feel well, I, it doesn't matter. I still go to my meeting. You know, because my disease does not take a break, so I don't take a break. You know, if I'm super tired, well, then I'll go to bed early that night. You know, I don't forego on my program rather just to get more sleep. And, you know, sometimes for me, it's like I have to be flexible enough with my food. It's like, okay, I need to go to my meeting. Okay, well, I'm going to bring my food with me and then I will eat afterwards or I'll eat before. But for me, it's like I I just don't miss, um, I don't miss meetings to do things like this. That's just my own perspective. So I have a similar answer to Greg. Um, You're taller than me. (laughs) Move the microphone. Um, I have a similar answer to Greg. And I also have – so like the other night, I was really, really tired, really very tired after work and um, actually went home from work and took a nap and got up in time to go to the meeting and was just – didn't want to go, but – went. I went to the meeting and I had plans with a fellow after the meeting to go have dinner. And I had to text my friend and be like, I'm going to need a rain check on dinner um, because I'm just really tired. So, but my meeting was super important to me because I know that, um, that when I don't get in, when I don't get my meetings, um, that, that first question that I answered of what are your warning signs? Like typically if I look back, if I'm having like a rough day or a rough week, like I look back and I'm like, oh, I somehow missed meetings. Like, oh, I haven't talked to my sponsor in a while. Like, so we do have like nine tools to choose from them, but meetings for me are my medicine. Meetings and my food are my medicine. And so, um, 
so, um, but I also have like five meetings that are optional for me to go to throughout the week. I have like two home meetings that I don't miss because I have service commitments at those. Um, but I, I make sure that like, that I am getting to a minimum of three meetings in OA a week. Um, and, um, prioritizing those over my schedule. Like I'm, I'm, I, I'm dating, I, I, I'm dating and, um, I, that makes like, it makes it interesting to, um, to get to my meetings and do all that stuff. But like the people that I'm dating that even if they don't know I'm in program, like there's, there's one that does know I'm in program. And so we like coordinate dates around my meetings. Um, but the other ones like just know that I'm not available until like a certain hour because like on Mondays and Tuesdays, I go to my meetings and on Fridays I go to a meeting on Sundays, I go to a meeting. Like it's just what I do. And, um, and so it's, um, it's important to me to, to maintain that. And that's why I have service at all the meetings I go to, um, so that I get there because my disease doesn't want to go a lot of the times. And then that's going to get me into trouble live on a slippery slope. And, um, and I recognize that and, and prioritize accordingly. I wanted to say something about self care as I've gotten better. I take, take better care of myself. And, um, I think one of the young women who is, talking last night was talking about making sure she brushes her teeth and does all these kinds of uh, self-care things. Uh, I'm not saying to put, well, I'm not addressing the the same question really. I'm bringing up something else, which is you should take care of yourself. And uh, it's part of loving yourself, and it's a sign that you're in recovery. All right. Thank you, everybody, for sharing and for coming. Um, This was wonderful. Can we thank our speakers with a round of applause? So it is now time to close the session. Thank you for thanking our speakers already. Please. (laughs) That's what I get for deviating from the format. Please stand and join hands. And as we close with the serenity prayer.